Let me tell you a little story about a great Australian brand, a great Australian beer, and more importantly, a great Australian family. Glenn Cooper AM is the embodiment of the Cooper story, a self-made entrepreneur that has created his own successful business career and then brought that wealth of knowledge and experience back into the family business. Cooper's Brewery is the grandfather of the craft beer movement in Australia and is now into its fifth generation of family members running this business. Importantly, it's the only big brewery that is still Australian-owned and manufactured. Glenn also has enormous experience outside the brewing world. Because Glenn is passionate about Australia and Australian manufacturing, Glenn has added value to numerous companies and organisations throughout his involvement with boards, including overseeing the Adelaide Fringe from a fledgling organisation to the powerhouse event that we all now know. Glenn discusses his role in taking over sales and marketing at Coopers, bringing us incredible marketing campaigns, leading to massive Australian-wide sales and growth at the brewery. He also reflects on riding the ups and downs of this family business, including a hostile takeover from a massive Japanese brewer. It's enthralling listening. Enjoy. Glenn Cooper, AM, Director at Cooper's Brewery. Welcome to Discipline. Thank you. Uh, now, we've got a couple of things in common, both educated at Prince Alfred College, and I spent a lot of time near a Cooper's Brewery, grew up on Statenborough Street, oh, Leebrook. Yes, the old brewery, uh, yes. Yeah, it was about 12 houses down from us, and I still remember those, uh, the smell as a kid walking yeah. past of the, I don't know, what is it, the hops? Uh, well, that was the, the yeast and the hops. Yeah, yeah. very memorable smell. Yeah. I might also explain my uh, over-enjoyment a few times of the pale ale. <laughs> You were growing up in the 50s and 60s. What did you want to be when you grew up? Well, I sort of was a bit, um, you know, the, when I was growing up, we were told that there would be no job at the brewery. The brewery was struggling enormously during that period. Yeah. And it was very unlikely to survive. So, you know, all of the Coopers of my vintage were told, look, don't worry about the brewery, it won't be there. Yeah. And it was some very tough times that they went through, and the fourth generation Coopers took us through those times. Yeah. Um, in the meantime, I ended up being starting out at a, in electronics. I did automotive electronics, yep. and I moved into... Uh, I studied then at the uh, Institute of Technology, it was called then, yep. which is uh, University of South Australia now, and did um, a number of electronic engineering course, and then I did business management. But... I got given advice from one of the lecturers, uh, the finishing electronics, and they said, you're not that good an electronics person, <laughs> but you've got a big mouth, get into sales. Right. So I ended up selling electronic systems yes. to RAAF and Weapons Research, Yeah. and then ended up starting my own company so, around um, Australia. Yeah, and, it, and you cut your own path. And you just like the sales, or was it a natural affinity for you? It is a natural affinity. I like people. Yeah. I like communicating, like trying to work them out. Um, I do a lot of talks these days about communicating with people and yep. family business, particularly. Yep. But, you know, it's about understanding the person that you're talking to, and particularly in selling. Uh, I always used to say to all our reps many times, both in all industries, I say, ask a question and then shut up. Because you won't learn anything about the person opposite you when yeah. you're talking. Yeah. And you'll learn about their characteristics, their 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 mode, the whole lot by listening. Yeah. And I've always said that. I think it's good advice. I had salespeople, I told them um, two ears, one mouth, use them in that ratio. Yep, absolutely. So the Coopers Brewery was struggling a bit. You've cut your own path. 
moved to Melbourne at one point? Yeah, during the, uh, I was working with a company called Anderson Digital, which yep. is the electronics part, um, and I moved to Melbourne as their distribution manager. Okay. I think I was about 28 years old, so yep. it was a national position, so it was pretty pretty full on. Yes. Uh, and then part way through that, I was there for about two years, uh, started a family there too, and and then um, they came to me and said, look, we uh, we want to sell our Adelaide office. Would you be interested in buying it? So I ended up coming back with my wife, hocked the house, the whole lot, and bought the business. And that was an electronic uh, called CNPA then. Yep. And uh, I had that uh, business for quite a long while, and it, it grew substantially. Yes. Um, was quite successful. And then uh, I also opened an office in uh, Brisbane. Yep. Under the same name. So... You natural entrepreneur, do you think, or um, I could say I was in those days, uh, and I could also say pretty gung ho and made a lot of mistakes. Yes, um, I, I'm I'm more cautious these days, and that comes with age and experience. Yeah, but yeah. I wouldn't say I was uh, slow. I like taking a little bit of a risk. Yeah, right. Still do. And what about then? You know, taking that risk. Why come back to Adelaide? Well, because I, it was a chance to own my own business, okay. and that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. I wanted to own the own business. I felt I could grow that business substantially, and I did. Yep, because I was in control. And you had a good exit from that business. Yes. Well, no. Well, actually, uh, not quite. To be very honest, I've got to say that it was a very successful business, and I bought a very large multi-story building in Kent Town here. Yeah. Because uh, in those days you could not rent a property on Green Hill Road, right. the main busy road, yeah, business yeah. road. Yeah. And then um, uh, I borrowed substantially. The banks were very generous in those days. Yeah. They loaned high amounts. And I remember my accountant saying to me that, um, look, interest rates are a bit high, but they won't go past 13%. They went to 20%. Oh, they kept going. And that was the uh, banana republic. Recession we had to have. have. Recession <laughs> we had to have. And um, and that hurt enormously, and that really didn't hurt the business because the building values crashed, interest rates went through the roof, yeah. and it was very tough. But I got out of it. Uh, I had some little issues, but I was able to get out of it and um, without being torn apart. Yeah, and probably took some bloody good learnings out of it as Absolutely. well. Absolutely, yeah. and I still remember them very well. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the Coopers family, your family is a very old Adelaide family. Thomas mm-hmm. Cooper arrived in Port Adelaide in 1852. Yep. Um, so you're born nearly 100 years later. He'd started a brewery. Um, you started a computer business or got into a computer business. Uh, are the Coopers all natural entrepreneurs? Uh, I, would, well, I wouldn't say they're all natural entrepreneurs. We have a number of Coopers and, and some of our board members, our managing director, they're actually medicos. Yep. They're, Doctors, yeah, and uh, you know, doctors by by nature are very careful. Yes, uh, they're, very conservative. They're very conservative, but you know, I got to say, the Coopers. There's a bit of Coopers blood in there, but an interesting point that I think to make is that when Thomas Cooper started the brewery in 1862, he actually had two wives and 19 children. Wow! And I usually say to people, that stuff did right from the start. <laughs> But today... No wonder wonder he started a brewery. that's right. Today we find ourselves as the only Australian-owned major, not the only brewery, the only major Australian-owned brewery. All the rest have been sold now overseas. Well, it's a story in itself, and I'm going to come to a bit of that in in a bit later, but how did you transition then from having your own business into the brewery? What was was the timing? What was happening? Well, things had got a little bit better. Uh, My uncle, Maxwell Cooper, who was the brewer and quite a brilliant brewer, 
he he developed the homebrew kit, yeah, and he actually broke some technological barriers yep. where he could ship a liquid wort around the world, and it could still stay sterile, and then you could with the dried yeast, and you could start to brew your own, and that was absolutely huge. Took off enormously yeah, you could around buy it the in world. Supermarkets, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah but it, it took off around the world. Yeah. Today we are still are the largest manufacturer of homebrew kits really? in the world. Yeah. yeah, wow. And that's to it. To be very accurate, that actually, in my opinion, saved the brewery. Is that right? Because it was huge money, it was big margin, uh, and it was enabled them to, to reduce debt and modernise a bit of the brewery. So it was at that point the fourth-generation Coopers and my father had retired. They just said, well, look, I think we'll survive now, and now we've got to think about the fifth generation. So they asked myself to come in, and also Tim Cooper, Dr Tim Cooper, he was a medico in England. Yeah. And he decided he might have a little change. And so we came in at the same time, and that was in 1990, in, in June 1990. Yep. Interesting enough, um, for people's knowledge, I was 39. Yeah. So I wasn't parachuted into the brewery by any means, and Tim wasn't either. You we were a full asked career to come by yep, And they'd asked us to come in, and, and we then, and they put us under some of the staff. So yep. I answered to a staff. You didn't come in at too high up. I took over as sales manager and Tim took over as one of the brewers. So and then we worked our way and we end up with a position where today I'm chairman of the company and, yeah. and I have been for quite a while and Tim is the managing director. There's a couple of really interesting points in there, Glenn. I think the first is, you know, the timing of when you come in. You've come in now with this wealth of experience, mm. being your own person and uh, had success in business. Um, the business is, is, is doing quite well. And then rather than, as you say, parachuting into a senior exec role, yeah. You sort of, I suppose, you come in and learn a bit of the ropes before you uh, really get cut loose. Yeah, and you know, today, Tony, we have a um, we have a written policy that no Cooper can come near the brewery until minimum thirty years old. Is that right? And that is a written document. So they're told, well, guess what? Don't worry about applying. Go out and do your own thing, yep. and then then we will, as a board, decide who comes in and. Uh, and and it'll be depend on your experience. Yeah, no easy free kicks for no. anyone. No. So I just wanted to know with Tim and yourself and... Melanie. Melanie. Melanie yeah, who's Tim's sister. Okay. Yeah. So Tim's a cousin of yours? Cousin. Um, in fact, I, people say, oh, I met your brother the other day. And they, I say, oh, Tim, Tim, he's there. I say, he's not my brother, a cousin. Oh, how close is he? Well, if you really want to know, it's second half cousin three times removed <laughs> because because of Thomas being so far back. Yes. And interesting point is that I am a fifth generation descendant of Thomas Cooper's first wife. Yes. Tim Cooper is a fifth-generation descendant of Thomas Cooper's second wife. Okay. So and that looks like a, almost a pattern for having massive problems, but it was, <laughs> the, it was the stepbrothers of Thomas who put together the structure which is still on our boardroom table today. Yeah. That's a structure which is sort of complex, but we can't go through it now so much, but it's a very good structure and it served us so well and no one Cooper can take over there's four Coopers on the board, yeah, and we make the decisions, two from one side and two from the other side. So, so there's Tim, Melanie, James, yourself. Yeah, James is my closer cousin. So James is a fifth generation from Thomas Cooper's first wife. Yep. Tim and Melanie are from the second wife. Yeah. And then we have some independent, we have another a, a, a fellow called Cameron Pierce who's married, who married to a Cooper. But the board structure is such that no one Cooper could take over. Yeah, that's very, very yeah. clever. Yeah. 
Um, and again, you were talking about uh, Melanie before. She's a chartered accountant. Yes. James is also a doctor, PhD yeah. in immunology. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's what application of the field in DNA. Yeah. You've got incredible achievers in the family. Well, you, think- you know, I, I quite often say to people, look, with those guys, all those doctors around, and Melanie's sister's a doctor too outside, with all those doctors around, I decided not to be a doctor. Yeah. No, <laughs> I wasn't smart enough to be a doctor. <laughs> I say the same thing. My sister's a doctor. I definitely wasn't smart enough to be a doctor. Okay, so you're starting around 1990. Yep. And a couple of monumental things happen. You had a previously had a share swap between SA Brewing and Cooper's. Correct, previously. Uh, yep. Assuming it was to avoid some sort of takeover. It was. It was done after the war to try and so-called avoid... Americans coming in and buying up the breweries. Yeah. So we did a share swap. Might not get past today's uh, no. holding structures, no, I wouldn't, wouldn't have thought. No, wouldn't have, no. Um, but SA Brewing gets acquired by Lion Nathan anyway, yep. and I'm assuming the 25% that Lion, um, SA Brewing held of Coopers also goes to Lion Nathan. Yes, but it, it there's a real twist to this, and it'll just take a few minutes to explain. The, the agreement that was made when they swapped shares, and remember the Coopers took about 8% of... West End yep. in those days. We the deal is when you sold those shares, you were supposed to you were supposed to contract contact the other party. Yep. And they would jointly find a friendly buyer. Yeah. Now when we sold our West End shares, that's exactly what happened. We yes. contacted them, we found a friendly buyer and they were sold to another so like buyer. Like a first right of refusal type situation. Yeah. They and they took it, right? Which meant that they didn't sell them to another brewery and yep. like that. When uh, Lion Nathan got involved, they didn't do that. They tried to um, circumvent that. Yep. And um, we actually, it was a long-running court case that we actually won in the end. Yes. And we won the fact that it was they couldn't should not sell those shares uh, properly, and that they and they actually were bought back by our brewery. And to do that, to come out the other end yeah. and to actually acquire the shares, did you have to take on another level of risk and yeah, debt to we do to that? some more debt on, but, you know, it's not so bad when you're buying back shares of the yeah, company true. and you're buying out a, another shareholder. So it's not... The banks look at that a little bit more favourably because you're just buying equity back in their company. And with that sort of uh, court case, you know, with no outcome certain, was it a stressful time for the Coopers? That was a stressful time. It wasn't too bad because we were on very solid ground. The contract yeah. were very strong. The interesting part about it is the lead-up after that, while that court case was finalising and finishing, was in line. Nathan launched their takeover bid of us right. because they knew they were going to lose that yeah. that share. So they've come in hostile. So they've come in hostile after that. So it triggered the takeover to a certain degree. It must have been incredibly tough on so that many was tough. And did. Was there any fracturing within the the family or the board, or were everyone? There was. Else? There was a little bit of fracturing. One or two shareholders yep. um, were very keen to take advantage of what was offered. Yeah. Um, but in the end, well, I'm cutting up. Have to cut the story short here a little bit. When we went to our shareholders to say to them, "Do not sell to Lion Nathan. We will match their offer." Well, we could only match it for one year because it was an extremely generous offer. It was a generous offer, and I had to say that as chairman. It's illegal for me to go out and say, no, don't sell. And you know, as a lawyer, that I was able to say personally, I'm not going to sell, Yes, but but this is a generous offer. Yeah. And uh, I had to say that to our group, and then we, uh, we asked our shareholders to insert a clause in our constitution 
which said no other brewery can buy shares in Coopers. Yeah. And when we took that vote, 94.6% of our shareholders said, insert that clause, yeah, we wow. don't want to sell the company. That's a huge majority. It was a huge. You needed 75%. Yeah, yeah. You're pretty aware Would of that. a special resolution. Yep. And 90, 94.6% said, insert the clause. Wow. And that was a strong position. And after that... Lion Nathan then put there, they had what they never couldn't buy the shares, they had power of attorney over them. Yes. They put them back into our share buyback. Right. We bought them back. Excellent. So we won. So you've won that, and you come out the other end almost yep. with a bit of wind in your sails. Yes. And you, you yourself get into the marketing side of the business. Well, I, I, did, I was sales manager and I joined the brewery, and then I worked, well, then I took over the sales and marker, sales and marketing director. Okay. Yeah. So. We were doing very well prior to that. We were moving nicely, and that's one of the reasons, the old dangers, why Lion wanted to have a crack at us, because ales were starting to become very strong interstate. Yeah. And, and that's what triggered part of it. So, yes. yes, so then I went further with the sales marketing. Yeah, completely off topic, but you must look back, because you had the sparkling ale and the pale ale yep. decades before yep. ales were a thing, really. That's right. Um, and you've cemented a, a unique position uh, as the as the premier brand in that space. Yeah, well, you know one thing that's interesting with today's craft beer? You know, a couple of the pop-up bars people say to me, oh, Coopers, you're too big to be craft. I said, wait a minute, we started the damn thing. Yeah. We're the grandfather of craft, right? We just don't call ourselves craft. But anyway, a lot of them are realising that now. But, you know, we we were really the forerunner of brewing naturally conditioned beers. So you've become private, fully private. Everyone's unified. From a management perspective and your own execution of strategy, um, did that help you focus in more on a brand and execution and, and doing things differently and more cohesively? It taught us a lot of things. Yeah. We tightened up a lot of things. You, yeah. you know, it tested us in a lot of areas and showed some weaknesses that we fixed. Yeah. So it did help in that response. I will say that it was a pretty expensive exercise. It was over $4 million in legal fees. That's a lot of money for lawyers, isn't and it? A, uh, did you get your cut? I didn't get anything. I was 2005. <laughs> I'd, left, I'd left the law by then. You're right. Yeah. Uh, no, we, so we learned a lot, but it also it gave us some resolve. It yeah. gave us a lot of confidence. And yeah. also, uh, to, be, to give a little bit back, it gave us massive publicity around yeah. Australia. Yes. That would be worth a lot of money. Yeah. Hmm. What did you see... In the brand yourself, what did you see in the brand that you thought, well, we can build a story around this brand? Well, well, I didn't have to build the story. The story was there. The story evolved. Yes. It it evolved through the early generations. Sparkling R particularly and Pale R. Pale R was actually, some of the older people that hear this this cast might remember this, but we had a product called... um, Diet beer, Cooper's Diet beer. It was a green, it's exactly the same label as what you see in Pale Ale. Yes. Cooper's Diet Ale. Yeah. But in those days, nobody really worried about it. Nobody cared. Nobody cared. Yeah. So it didn't, it failed. And we brought it back at about 1980, I reckon 86. Was it the Cooper's Light? No, we brought back the Diet 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 Beer as Cooper's Pale Ale. Okay. Renamed it, didn't change the formula. And it became a fabulous product. And it is still today the largest selling pale ale in Australia. Is it really? Mm. All the other, there's lots of other pale ales, but the largest selling pale ale in Australia. And that in itself is a great, yeah. great story. So you were going to lead on to the advertising. I was actually going to lead on to the... Um, vintage ale. Vintage ale. Yes. Yeah, well, that was actually one of my ideas. Yes. Um, I went to a, um, 
to the brewers and said, could you make a beer that would age properly? You know, and, and In the bottle. In the bottle. Yeah. So it didn't go off. Like, a lot of lager beers after about a year, well, they have a use-by-date by year and that. So our ales have a <clears throat> best after-date, which we're the only ones allowed to do that because it ferments in the bottle. Yeah. But I said, can you make something that's really going to be like, like a Penfolds Grange? Yes. They... So we can market that as a penfold. Yes, range. and did very well. And they said, yeah, well, yeah, it can. It'll be expensive. And I said, that's all right, don't care. And they said, it'll be high alcohol. And I said, even better. And so we created the label and they created the brew. Now, the first brew the brewers sort of were a bit half-hearted about. Yeah. They saw how it took off. And so then they took ownership of it. Yeah. And it was actually the first one was 1998. Yeah. And we've done beers almost all the way through continuously, and we're still doing the vintage ales now. Come out around wintertime, we only make a certain amount of product because we want it to run out, and you have to wait for the next season, yeah. and it's always different. And I remember back in the day when it first launched, it yeah. sold out of yeah. pubs yeah. so quickly, yeah. Yeah. and people were, you know, almost, as you say, like a grange, putting it down in the yeah. cellar, waiting for, waiting for a couple time. of months and bring it out as a, as a special still, occasion beer. Still being done today. Yeah, great. And, you know, we've tasted some that are 10 years old, and they've changed a bit. They've fortified a bit. They lose a bit of their effervescence and flavours, but I have to tell you, they do not taste like a lager beer would, which would be pretty horrible. Yes. It, they fortify, so it's a little like a fortified wine. Yeah. But it's still very nice. Some people love it. They put it down and they still drink it and... Tell us all the time that we could, could still a good beer. For you, what was the genesis of that idea? Where where did you actually go? I've got this idea. And it's a little bit. It's a little bit different. Well, I'll, I'll tell you where it came from. Or a couple of things where it came from. We have a history of Coopers, right? And when Thomas Cooper started the brewery at Leebrook, and that was eighteen eighty one, he built that. It was like out in the country. Effectively, it wasn't in the city. It was out in the country. And his closest neighbour was Doctor Penfold. Right. And we're sure they got together to have a drink, oh, yeah. one with the wine and one with the beer. Yeah, a couple that was of drinks. Couple of drinks. <laughs> so the Penfolds thing always intrigued me. On top of that, too, the winemakers, all of the winemakers said that Cooper's is the winemaker's beer. Right. They always have sparkling ale. Yeah. At the end of their tastings and their... The great Max Schubert. They, yep. They, and they said sparkling ales is how we cleanse our cleanse palate. Cleanse palate. So with those things together, I thought, you know, Penfolds, wine... And I saw how fabulous Penfolds have done with Grange. And I, that's what I said to the brewers. Can we do a Grange-like product? And they went, oh, it's not going to be like that. But <laughs> I said, can you age it? Something that the brewers, that people can put down. Yes. And they did. And uh, and that's still going today. And that's where it came about. And the label was um, had a little bit of a slight, slight resemblance to Grange. <laughs> and, and the premium pricing, you just premium. jack it up well, because we can? Well, we didn't can. have to jack it all up because you pay higher because of the alcohol, the excise on alcohol. So the taxes on the alcohol go up on it pretty heavily. Yeah. But we put it up because it had to be, it's around about, by today's standard on craft beers, it's probably quite cheap. It's about $75 a case. Yeah. When beer was around about $38, $39. Yeah, so it was, it was up there. But yeah. a fair bit of that was taxes. But, yeah, I mean... It was also a complex beer, so it took a while to make. Yeah. Mm. Now the advertising. Now, so, yes. So, I mean, you've, you've come in. This, the advertising was, you know, um, very well known and, and you know, incredible campaigns. Yeah. How, did, how did that come about? Do you have to choose a different agency? Or? Well, I came into the brewery and then I started to take over the marketing. And, and it's quite a unique story because our managing director, Bill Cooper at the time, which was Tim's father, 
his good friend was the advertising agency we were with, the CEO of the advertising agency. So I said to Bill, I said, I don't think they'd do a very good job. It's pretty old-fashioned. It's pretty this. No. He said, well, what do you think you'd do? <laughs> anyway, that was probably the worst thing to say to me. And I went out and I actually uh, met a fellow called Andrew Kelly, KWP, Kelly Withy Punk Partners, or Puncher then. And Adelaide-based. Adelaide-based. They yeah. were doing some terrific stuff with yeah. Bankers Say and yeah. all that. And, and they were, I liked the idea, and they tuned in to the, what we were being different. They were going to do some research, and I said, well, you know what? Don't go to the research companies. Get on a plane and go to Sydney and go to all the pubs and talk to people. That's the research you should do. Yeah. And they've always said, they still say today, that was the toughest research mission they ever had. (laughs) (laughs) They knocked themselves out. But they learned about the beer, the trade in Sydney, the trade in Melbourne, and Cooper's where we sat. Yeah. And I said, they know our name in Sydney and Melbourne, but they don't know who we are. They say, oh, Coopers, I've heard of that. Then they would say, oh, is that owned by Foster's? Uh, no. So they didn't, they know our name, but so we had a platform, but they didn't know enough about it. Yes. So we went about like, some campaigns, not old-style campaigns of who's who we are, but quite quirky stuff. It was. And we had some fabulous ads. Yeah. I mean, one of the ones that I reckon was just amazing. I said to Andrew Kelly, I said, um, a lot of the little pubs in Paddington and areas around Sydney, Said we we just got to get there out. We've got to get in there somehow. And he said, I got an idea. And a lot of them had a bus stop outside the hotels or nearby. Yeah. So we bought bus the start of bus shelters with a sign. Yes. And we put an ad up there that said, if it's not at your local, sell your house with a Cooper's tap underneath. Right. Well, it absolutely took off. Right. Everybody kept going to these pubs that didn't have us and say, Oh, we've got hey, Coopers. Have you got Coopers? No, yeah. I haven't got it. Oh man, I don't go and sell my house. The sign says so. And. And a lot of hoteliers said to me, you actually got us. We had to put it on. Yeah. People were asking for it and wanted it, and they made the joke about us, I'm going to sell my house if you don't put it on. I mean, that's a great bit of advertising. It's unbelievable. So yeah. so it starts to go in terms of, okay, demand starts to get created from this advertising. Sydney and Melbourne start to take off. What about the logistics? What about the the, the operational impact of having to yep. increase? Uh, well, that really stretched Leebrook, the old brewery at Leebrook. Uh, where you said you were nearby, four, four or five doors up. Well, as you would know, it's a more, it's quite an exclusive upmarket suburb. Yeah. And right in the middle was a brewery. It wasn't there when I mean the brewery was there first, but it became obvious uh, in the mid mid to late nineties that um, we were not going to be able to expand very much. There were council approved. We had yeah. big big um, fermenters. Yeah. And so, we're fortunately, we uh, Bill Keeper found uh, the block of land, which was the Trans uh, Adelaide Bus Repair Centre, and we bought that land, borrowed the money, and we borrowed big time and built a, a brand new brewery. State of the art, state of the art, yep. environmentally friendly, and we've added. I think it was about a sixty million cost to start with, and now we've added probably equivalent of another seventy, eighty million to it, probably even more. Yes, but that gave us a chance to go like that. Now, my friends will kill me if I don't ask you the question. During my O-Week at Adelaide University, I think it was O-Week only, Cooper's pints were five cents. So that's all we drank. Five cents? Five cents. I wouldn't have thought it was that cheap. Maybe it was 50 cents. I reckon. It was cheap. I know. I reckon it would be near a dollar. 
Dollar a pint. This is back in 93. 93. Well, it could have been cheaper than 50 cents. Yeah, it could have been It was very cheap, and I reckon it was heavily subsidised. And what it did, I think it bought a lifetime of loyalty to the brand. Yes, it did. Was that that going on to sort of get in at a lost leader to these Well, I think I I wasn't around at that time so much. When I I took over, I I week we were very good at it, and I said we wanted to sell cold beer. And so we really invested in some infrastructure to make sure we could serve cold beer quickly. Yeah. Because you guys smashed us. <laughs> you absolutely smashed us. And when you're, when you're smashing taps, it's quite hard to keep the beer cold. Yeah. And we put in some technological parts. We served really cold beer and all you guys yeah, loved it. Magnificent. And I do remember that we were, we had a team of people just changing kegs. Yeah. They were just kegs building up out the back, so you smashed us. We, yeah, so we had a great time. So now you you sort of you've moved away from the brewery. You've had a, a bit of time to reflect on on business. Mm. What's your philosophy on business? Well, interesting. You know, I worked for probably a full time at the brewery uh, for twenty four odd years. Um, twenty five. I was I've been on the board for twenty six years. Um, but it's it. My philosophy. I learned the good thing is you learn how to fight in the gutter a little bit. And that's one of the things I think is terrific. I learned a bit of that back in the computer days. In fact, we had the computers we were bringing in were compact yep. and a few others. They were far superior to other yes. small PCs. IBM at the time. Yeah, and then IBM came in yeah. and I said, oh, we ran the IBM machine against the compact and we, we compact murdered it. And I said, well, that won't cause a problem. What I misjudged was there was one single factor. It was called IBM and brand power is everything yeah and while it wasn't a superior machine it buried us yes and it buried compact yeah. over time so it was it's an interesting uh, you learn those things you go through and then as you get older you put them into i think if you if you respect them you put them into play in your yeah. life and uh, i'm doing that right now i'm a number of boards around australia yeah. and i'm giving advice to another number of family companies yes and certainly with a few of them, succession planning is yeah. really important to them. And while we're not experts at it, we've got a pretty good track record. Yes, yeah. But I enjoy a lot of those things, but I still enjoy, you You never stop learning. Yeah. I'm not the person telling them everything. I'm learning as I'm going with these other companies. Yeah. That's fascinating. Because yeah. times have changed. Times change. You've been described uh, as an incredibly positive person to work for and work with. Oh, there you go. Have you done some homework on me? I have, I have. Oh, okay. And the places you, you've you know worked at reflects that with people talking about the work environment, the cultures in the workplace. Hmm. Um, how did you become such a strong proponent of customer and company culture? Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting question. I think you're born a bit with it. Your personality that you're, uh, you're, is part of the process. So. Yeah. You get a bit of it. It's how I think you want to develop it. I enjoy people, as I said earlier. I enjoy people. I enjoy communicating. And I enjoy finding out what other people are doing. And also, I, I push our reps fairly hard, but enormously respectful of them. Yeah. Enormously respectful. If they do the right thing. And, you know, I would get a phone call from a hotelier, and he would be irate, telling me how bad they're He would just go off their brain, Right. And what I learned is you don't go, I just kept, I'll look into that. Yes, I understand. Give me the fact and that I will look into this for you. Then I'd go and call the rep in and I wouldn't do any comment about the rep on that phone call. I'd call the rep in, tell him what happened and get his side of the story. And many times it came up that the hotel hadn't paid the bill 
or he had we'd put us a tap in there and they'd gone and slipped a West End tap on top of it and didn't yeah. tell him. Yeah. You know, there was always a reason. Yeah. And what I would do is get the facts out of the rep and then I would go back, back and I'd made a commitment to ring that irate person back and I'd ring them back and I said, look, I've looked into this for you and I said, there are a few things that we need to chat about. And I'd list some of those things and I'd... You'd hear them back off on the phone. Oh, well, yeah, my, oh, I didn't know. My accountant didn't do Oh, you know. And so you learnt to back your rep. Yeah. If they did that, but if they knew if they did the wrong thing, yeah. and occasionally they made slip-ups. And I said, I always believe this too, if, if your representative of the company makes a slip-up, makes a commitment they probably shouldn't have committed to, well, we go back and we, we, we honour that commitment. Yeah. I, I'd go back and say, look, he actually made a mistake, but we are going to honour that. And I said, but you probably won't get it again next time, right? But we will honour it. Yeah. I believe in those principles. I still believe in, and it worries me more today when you know, a lot of it's digitised and emails. The problem is you can say some things on email that you probably wouldn't say face-to-face. Way too easy. Way to, too easy yeah. to abuse. And so I, I like the idea if there's conflict, sort it out before it festers. Yep. And sort it out in a in a positive but a, a communicative way. Yeah, you, you you may not you may end up not totally agreeing, but you should walk out of the room uh, knowing that you've tried to solve the problem. Yeah, and and how much of your own business life and that sales life prepared you for having a customer centric focus mm. uh, and being able to you know act in a way that always kept the customer happy, yeah. but then you've got to balance the needs of the internal yeah, staff. I, I just got that through selling over the years yeah. younger because, you know what, people don't change a lot. <laughs> they get angry when they can't get what they want, and, and it's just how you handle the personalities. And we talked about whether you should, you know, don't talk too much to the person. Yeah. Because I said to them, you won't understand what he's thinking unless you listen. And you start to work out what's driving this person. Remember they're dealing with hoteliers and liquor stores, etc. They're all different people. Yeah. They've all got different quirks. Yeah. And if you understand what they're thinking a bit more, you'll, you'll be in a better position to work with that person and, and achieve something. Now, a bit of navel-gazing for you, Glenn. <laughs> what is your core strength in business? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I think we just covered that. I think what I that's just it, said, that's fairness, it. I'm, yep. I'm, I'm, I'm a bit tyrannical. You upset me. I'll... Oh, really, if you do the wrong thing, by and it's happened a couple of times with some people and some great stories, I'll get you back somehow. Yeah. But but not in a verbal, vicious sense, but I'll, I'll just even the ledger. Yeah. And so I've that, got that, but I've also got this softer side as well. Yes. Because I like communicating. I like resolving problems. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you said earlier you have a bit of an appetite for risk. Yes. Why do you think you have that? You know, because Adelaide... Is a conservative town. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got doctors in the family; they're conservative people. Mm-hmm. So there's conservatism around you. How do you grow an appetite for risk in this environment? Well, it's not just that environment because we were competing with um, we were being competing with Fosters, and those days it was uh, you know Tuis and or then Lion and then Fosters, and and so you're going into a big t- enemy territory with they've got massive budgets yeah. and strong position, much yeah. stronger. So you have to work little ways out of which you can sell yourself. I call them the Cooper's Advantage. Yeah. You have to work things out that you've got that they haven't got. Yes. And I say this to many other companies. You may find that in your company there are advantages that you have that are not readily in front of you, 
but look for them. There'll be differences when against your corporate competitor. Yeah. And once you find those things that are different, utilize your them. secret. Your secret sauce. Mm. What's been the uh, the hardest part about working with family? Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, just again, being tolerant of you know my, the older generation not wanting to do things. And I've got to give credit, Bill and Macro, my father was older than them, and, you know, everything was done in a certain way. And the two young boys come in, and we, Tim Cooper, the, I think the personalities of Tim and I could be uh, poles apart. We're different. But he is a master of brewing, did brewing in the England, and he made big changes to the brewing side. I made big changes to the marketing side. And I think two different people has actually worked very well for yeah. the brewery. Yeah. And you know, it's those things that you you with family that and when you're when you've got an older group up the top and you're doing sort of things that they've never understood, it gets a bit of pressure. So you sort of have to listen to them, uh, but not necessarily change what you want to do. Yeah. <laughs> Find a way to sell Follow it. Follow a way around yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, and what about the best part then about working with oh, family? The great part is that we, especially Coopers, it's so united. I mean, sixth generation are in now the brewery starting to come in. And Fantastic. it's just a fabulous story. And when you read the book, go back on our history book of what's happened and what's occurred and the, the humps and the good times. Yeah. Uh, there was a lot of boom and bust. Pardon? There was a lot of boom and bust. Yeah, there was. Yeah. A lot of boom and bust. And we, you know what I love too is the... the the beer game's still a great game. Yeah. It's got a little hard or a little bit less communicative, but the pubs are still great. Yeah. And, you know, I, I hope that pub life still goes on because it's still a great environment. I was still going on late last <laughs> night in, at the Robin Hood. <laughs> um, Fisa, what's the biggest change? You know, if you could say this is the single biggest change I've seen in business in the last couple of decades. In Coopers? Or oh, no, just business in business general. Business in general. Yeah, look, it's the it's the digitisation, it's the computer, it's the emails. Yeah, uh, that's the biggest change by far, and we're seeing another that occurred quite a few years ago. But now we're seeing another change, and this one is is controversial, but I don't have an exact answer for it. I think sometimes we're overprotecting what our environment that we work in, and that print comes into you know. Um, Equal opportunities, uh, you know, sexism, you know, etc. I think we're overthinking the process to a certain degree. Yeah. And you know what? I I talk with a number of ladies, and they, you know, I hear on TV, oh yeah, we want to be treated equal. I don't want a door open for me. Then you go and talk to another other ladies, and they, I opened the door the other day to somebody in a hotel in Sydney, and they said, oh, thank you very much. I thought, you know, Chivalry was she dead. was dead. Yeah. And, you know, so I think in a lot of cases we're overthinking those issues, and in that we're causing some a lot of stress in our whole business yes. lives. That's yeah. the one change I'm seeing right now. Yeah. You know, and look, racism, you can't, you can't, you know, race, you, you can't have racism, but you can't also be the fact that, you know, the Italians are the Italians, the Greeks are the Greeks. They're proud of... They've been here for years, they're Australians, but they're still proud of Greek. Yes. So there's nothing wrong with being proud of Australia. Yeah. Nothing wrong with being, the Italians being proud of Italy and that sort of thing. And a lot of the people of my generation, and, and yours too, they, they, they're happy to say, oh, yeah, oh, yeah we came here, we came. Absolutely. We told you the Greeks, so we told you how to eat lamb properly. You yeah. know, this is... No, there's nothing wrong with this sort of stuff. No. But I think, again, we overthink it. 
and we take it too far. Yeah. You've um, got to have it, I agree. You've got yes. to have it, but let's not overcook it. Yeah. What about something the other way? Is there something you look back on and go, oh, I've got a bit of a pang of regret, a deal gone bad, a relationship soured, something that uh, you ever yeah, think? There's a few couple. Yeah, there's a couple. There's a few. No, but but I'd probably rather talk about the, the, the real good ones. Yeah. I mean, I was... I ended up being chairman of the Adelaide Fringe Festival yes. when it was down at, started down at um, in where the university is in Hindley Street. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was um, fantastic. I mean, my I'm chairman of this Fringe Festival, which is sort of quite grungy. My wife said, I don't know why Glenn's chairman of the Fringe Festival. He hasn't got an artistic bone in his body. Do you have an artistic bone? No, I don't. And, but what it was was they had all these great artists and great... It had all the potential, but it needed a business sense as well. Yeah. And I did, that's what I got my AM for, for yes. the being two things. It was the Fringe Festival for about 10 years. Yeah. And I stepped out when I saw 25,000 people at the east end of Rundle Street yeah. and the parade, oh, and it's, it's just gone on. It's fabulous. It's the best time to be in Adelaide. It is just true. And, and I, was, I was also chairman of... Um, uh, Adelaide Convention and Tourism, yep. which was a great time trying to bring tourist events to Adelaide. But those things were great times and they were completely, they weren't to do with Coopers, they were to do with my love of South Australia and trying yep. to promote things. Yep. Yeah. What about your greatest achievement at Coopers? <laughs> um, well, I'll tell you what I think it is. We sponsor V8 supercar, or supercars. Yes. Now, I remember presenting to the board. We had an opportunity for supercars. I wanted to get hold of the Adelaide Eclipse 500 here for years. Yeah. And the then uh, CEO was a fellow called Tony Cochran. Yep. Who is now CEO. Gold Coast. Of, yep, Gold Coast. Yeah. And he's a tough guy. Yeah. And anyway, I was trying to get, I was getting the Premier behind me and a few others to get hold of Eclipse. Anyway, he ran me up and... I can't use exactly his words, but he said, Colourful, you're not sure. getting the jewel in the crown, Cooper. If you want to get into it, you've got to have the lot. And I said, well, I don't think we can afford the lot. And he said, well, you won't. I'm not, you're not getting clips off. Anyway, something happened to him about, oh, it was about three years later, four years later, he rang me and said, look, I want to come in and talk to you about the whole thing. I've lost a sponsor. I want to talk to you about it. So he came down and did a presentation to me, and I thought, this could be a good deal. And I went to our board and I said, before I start this presentation, this isn't about cars. And I think they stood there thinking, Glenn, you're an idiot. Supercars. It's about massive trial yeah. and TV into lounge rooms we could never afford. Yeah. And that's what it's turned out to be. Because yeah. we have exclusivity of beer in every event. Yeah. Runs for uh, nine, eight months. Okay. It runs for eight months yeah. all over Australia. Yes. And when they go there, they can only drink Coopers. Yeah. And now we have massive signage into the lounge rooms and it's grown and grown. To such a degree, like three million people watch the start of Bathurst. Yeah. And there's massive Cooper signage. Yeah. We could never afford to get into the lounge room. Yeah. Anyway, the board backed it. And it was our biggest sponsorship ever, yeah. by far. And we backed it and we renewed it three times and we're still there. And you saw uh, an uptick from uh, that sponsorship? Absolutely. It's been terrific. And what it, it, helped, it helped get our product throughout Australia because they had to try it. And what about all the people that used to sit on the corner up at Bathurst drinking VBs and that? They could still do it on the hill because right. you're allowed to bring their beer in. It's the only event on the hill they can do it. But we have our bars there and you go up there and you mix mix with them. Yes. A lot of people say, oh, I don't even drink VB, but this 
this misdrink's not bad, yeah. you know. So it's this idea of, oh, well, at least you... And you know what Tony Cochran did say? He said to me, you'll never find a more loyal supporter base than in supercars. Is that right? And he is dead right. Yeah, right. They are loyal. If supercars say buy this, they'll buy it. If supercars say we've gone with Coopers, they will try it. Yeah. And provide the product's good, they moved over. Yeah. And he was dead right on that. Yeah, that's the kind of... I mean, that's the kind of uh, position you want to be associated yeah. with. People that you know, you can influence their buying yeah. habits. I can give you one other quick achievement. Yeah. You know the Cooper's Ale House at the airport? Yes. I had that tied, locked away before the building was half finished. Really? And then the other breweries came in to talk about it when the airport was finished, all too late. And where that bar is enormous down there, and we put it in the middle of the airport. Yeah. <coughs> we changed the idea of bars in airports. Yeah. Typically, they're in the back corner. Yeah, it was... Dingy, dark. People yep. would go, have a look in. There's a local rugby boys getting smashed. Yeah. We put a family-style food bar environment yep. in the middle of the airport yeah. just opposite the security, and it flies. It's one of the great captive audiences as well. Is that your idea? It was my idea, and I locked it out, and the others came to town to try and get it. And I'd already put a store there, with it, which we originally, we don't have it now, but another store selling our clothing. Yes. So they walk in, they see the Cooper's Ale House, they see the Cooper's store, they get in the car, and as they drive out, they have massive signage for Cooper's. I just wanted to know, let them know whose town they're in. Well, I'm going to blow a little bit of sunshine your way because quite often I can turn right at that gate to go into the Qantas Lounge. Yes. But quite often I'd go straight ahead, especially if, when I'm with someone who hasn't been to South Australia. Yeah, be and it. so this is the yeah, beer you want so. to drink. Yeah. So you talked about... Um, you know, you're very focused on business. You've had the involvement with the arts, the Fringe Committee, Adelaide Festival, Centre Foundation. Yep. So you've got rounded interest now. Uh, again, was that progression into that, into those boards, into those positions, was that natural? Did you feel like you had to do that to give yourself some other focus? No, they just occurred. Yeah, those okay. board positions just evolved. I got involved because and, and I liked them and I liked, I thought a good position with Coopers was the arts. It still is a nice position for us. We could never afford the rugby or the AFL football, and we still can't. But that's a nice position for us. I think it suits our brand really well. So that was sort of driven by Coopers. But when I got involved with them, I found that, you know, I enjoyed it. And uh, and I got asked to join those boards. Yeah. Mm. I lived in Queensland for a little bit because yeah. I always think Coopers is a brand and a beer that South Australians are very proud of. Um, the beer's quality. And when I lived in Queensland, I used to grow across the Story Bridge. Yes. I reckon there used to be a Neon Cooper sign. It was on top yep. for many years. Still there? No, the Neon sign is still there, but it hasn't got Coopers on it now. Oh, right. Okay. I did that deal with uh, the Deary family, the father who's passed away quite a while ago. It was Penfold. It's a very, very old Penfold sign. You're right. And the old man Deary had a brawl with the council. And he says, stuff it, I'm not going to do any of the sign. And so the old sign became dilapidated. Yeah. And I said, if I can get approval for that sign to be revamped, can I put Coopers on it? And I said, if I get the approval, I'll pay for it. And I got it. I went to council with him and I got the approval to redo the sign. And we made it a Coopers sign for years. And was that because you had that exposure to Brisbane because of your business that had been up there previously? No, or nothing no it was no. Just, just how to present to the council instead of fighting with them. Yeah. Just took some drawings to them. And I think what I did say to them, I said, look, I understand what you just want a big beer sign. I mean, putting Forex up there isn't going to look good. <laughs> Remember I'm talking to Queenslanders? <laughs> I said, but we're going to do a nice, uh, we put some old barrels up there. 
quality in line with the the Story Bridge Hotel, yeah. which is going to be really nice. And I showed some drawings to them, and these councillors went, "Oh, that's a lot better." Yeah. So you know, I said, "Well, you can put two E's, four X there. It's going to look crap. <laughs> put Coopers there." Gonna look classy, and they went with it. Deal done. Mm. And uh, you've mentioned Penfolds a couple of times, and you're, yeah. you know, like me, an old Prince Alfred College yeah. person. So, what do you prefer, a beer or a glass of red? Um, I'm, I actually, here's, here's, I enjoy my beer. I also enjoy my white wines. I'm a bit more fan of the white wines. Adelaide Hills, some of the stuff coming yeah. out of the Adelaide Hills is terrific at the moment. Yeah. I all have a red, I have some reds. Um, I also drink gin. Yes. And I like a scotch. Yeah. <laughs> so take that. <laughs> I love, I'm loving gin at the moment. And that's not great. over drinking, all right? We, we, I, I In moderation. They're, they're all coming out now <laughs> trying to lower the drinks and there's all sorts of arguments now about, and then they, they oh God, I get you frustrated. And they, years ago they said, oh, you've got to have an alcohol-free day. Now they say that's dangerous, you know. So it's, as long as you just don't overdose. Yeah, if you don't overdo it, you have a few drinks with mates. I don't see a problem. No, and at this time of year, it's where you want to be. I think having a few drinks with friends, yep. having a good good yarn, and that's right. having a smile about the year gone by. That's right. Well, we're going to finish off, Glenn, with the quick fire round. Yep. So, who's been an inspiration to you? Uh, Maxwell Cooper, my uncle. He was a, uh, he was amazing, and not a marketing person, but he just knew how to cut a path through the, the trees. And I learnt an enormous amount from him. The kindest thing anyone's ever said to you? Um, actually, it happened uh, only last year, just for Christmas. Um, I'm on a number of boards, as I said, and one of them was Hames Paints. Hames yep. is a very good family paint company. Yep. And now Dulux has been sold. It's now the only Australian company. So a bit of synergy with you. Synergy. Your, yeah. And I was on that board, and I've been on the board for probably... Year, year and a half, and David Hames, the founder, came to me and he said, Glenn, you've made a massive difference to this company since joining us, because I, I, I'm the independent, the only independent, there's all family on the board. <clears throat> you've made a massive difference to this company, and you've made a massive difference to me. Great. Now that, I thought, I went back and told my wife, I thought, gee. Well, Tingles on the, yeah. On the, yeah. yeah. Favourite AFL footballer? Um, oh, um... Crows player uh, won the Norm Saul medal twice. Andrew McLean. I knew you were going to say Andrew. Andrew McLean. He was just, I, I just in awe of how he could silky smooth. Seemed to be going slow, but nobody could get you. Yeah, favourite beer. Um, of our of our ranges. Um, well, look, I would have said pale ale, but I tell you what, this isn't a ploy. But we've released a new product called XPA. Yeah. It's a purple can, and I have to say, I. Like the brewers have done a great job, and I'm sort of drinking more of that now than the pale. Yeah, but yeah, but was has been pale ale. But if you go any place in the world now for lunch, yes, where would you go? In the world, oh boy, that's a bit. <laughs> God, gee, oh, well, I, I'll, I'll limit it to Australia. It's easier, right? I I still like Chianti here. Yes. And I like a restaurant. There's a couple of rooftop restaurants in Sydney that are very nice. But yeah. I think Customs yeah, House. Yeah, yeah, Customs House is yeah. nice. Yeah. yeah, worldwide. Well, there's just too many big ones and stuff. But I'd rather I'd rather stick with Promote Australia. Um, what about your favourite band? Um, look, I'm a bit of an old school. You know, eighties, nineties stuff. Um, 
Oh, gee, I, I've got a whole bunch of songs that my children turn around and say, Dad, that's old-fashioned, but then I note that they, they have a party and they end up playing those songs. That's true, isn't that's it? That's what happens. Yeah. Oh, I, I probably can't say the most favourite song. I don't I don't really have one. I just like that 80s music yeah. and stuff. Yeah. What advice would you give to people who want to start a business? Um, just do your homework beforehand. One of the biggest problems today is financial the financial position. It was easy to start years ago because the banks would be there to say, give you some money. And and I was addressing a number of um, uh, craft brewers and one of them asked me a similar question, what, would you, what advice would you give us? And I said, just be very careful of growth because growth can cost a lot of money, especially when you're manufacturing something. And you can grow. Everybody's happy and clapping their hands, etc. but then you can't fund it. And, these, and you might have a good little brand and you go to the bank and say, oh, I've got this terrific brand, we need to borrow eight, nine, ten million. And the bank goes, well, what have you got as collateral? And you've got a brand, and they don't, yeah. they don't wear it. So controlled growth, I think, is really important, and, yeah. and that's one of the mistakes are made by people. They get on the roller coaster, and the consequences of growing wages, uh, you know, all the other things that go with it, which when you put them on, when it hits the fan... The sales stop instantly, Yes, but those costs don't stop instantly. Yeah. They go on for quite a while because yeah. you've got to shed and, and so you've got to be very careful of quick growth. Yep. Well, what's next for Glenn Cooper? Uh, I'm enjoying what I am at the moment. I'm sort of part retired. I've uh, I've enjoyed the boards I'm on. Yep. Bundaberg is another one. Great yep. company, family company. Yeah. Um, that's about it. I'm going to keep doing those because uh, they're, they're a lot of fun. You still meet a lot of people. Um, I'll step out of Australian Mode. I'm chairman of Australian Mode. I'll, yes. I'll step out of that at the end of next year. We'll have done about eight years on that. That's a love job. I'm passionate about Australian manufacturing. Yep. And I think that people can get a leg up and let them know that the manufacturing is better here. <clears throat> and the world can identify that. Yep. That's what we're trying to do. So uh, after that, uh, I can't sit down and do nothing. Tony, I can't. <laughs> Bit of golf? I golf. I love my golf and I still go diving. I go scuba diving. Yeah. Do a golf, scuba diving and fishing. Yeah. I go fishing. I've got a place over at York Peninsula, Black Point. Yes. Yeah. I go fishing over there. I yeah. love that. So yeah, that's keeping me pretty happy. Terrific. Well, listen, congratulations on incredible family and personal achievements. Thanks for taking the time out on this uh, incredibly hot day to <laughs> record the interview. Hey, it's good for business. Yeah, so yeah. I, I can't complain about today. It's good for our business. I think I might go out and, and <laughs> wet the whistle. Um, thanks for producing great beer and uh, producing some of my best hangovers that I've ever had. And thank you for being on Discipline. It's a pleasure, Tony. Thank you. Great.